This is Collected Clan, Episode 2. If we, we truly understood that life is not about the destination, we think it's about getting that thing. And then we go get the thing, and then we're like, well, I don't feel any different. Well, we cheated ourselves. Welcome to Collected Clan, the podcast about outstanding people I've met along the way. People with interesting stories, triumphs, ideals. People who've made their mark in the world and in my life. I'm your host, Gregory Byerline. I've met a lot of people over the years, and many people come and go. Shakespeare wrote, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. But these people are the company that you keep. Everyday people, just like you and me. I'm excited to introduce to you a friend of mine, David Myers. He and I talked for a good length tonight. Uh, he is in a Denny's-type cafe, so you'll hear some uh, waitresses, coffee, chatter, whole nine. But I love that about this conversation because it was real and it was authentic and genuine and all that great stuff. So let's get right into the conversation. You guys have been married almost as long as Megan and I have. You guys are 21, right? No, we, we're on 20 in May. We got okay. married in the same year. Okay, so you're five months ahead of us? Yes. Six months ahead of us? Yeah, because okay. yours is this fall, right? October, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw that the other day. I forget how I came across it. Uh, maybe I have it in your, your address card. Yeah. How in the crazy. world have we both been married for 20 years? <laughs> that's that's how long old people are married for. I right? know. <laughs> We've always kind of been like the, the couple that's like could never really do anything really incredibly cool and sweet, like the big trip. We could never really afford that. So we've kind of like justified it like, well, we don't, you know, maybe dinner, but we don't really buy anything, each other anything. And we'll just, you know, give that to the kids and stuff like that. So this year I'm trying to do 20 unique gifts all throughout the year for her. Um, and then kind of culminate on our anniversary and like, here's your final 20th gift kind of thing. That's fantastic. And so, and so I got her a little book. It's really cool. I, I, I saw it on like one of the, because and so I'm a big, I hate ads on on Instagram and stuff like oh they bugged me but I saw one and I totally worked <laughs> and I clicked it and I ordered it and so basically what it is is it's these stick figures, right? And you can kind of make them look how how you look and how your significant other looks, and so I did that and then they have like a hundred pre-written pages. Of like, I love going on walks with you. And it's got a little picture of them holding hands and going on a walk and like a little caption bubble. And uh, you can you can rewrite the heading and the bubbles and switch the faces and uh, and kind of contour it to your relationship, you know. So I did that and I and I printed out this little it's called the this David and Nicole story, 20 years, and it's just these cool little I love going to the movies with you and I love this and that with you and like some of them are like inside jokes that she, only she would understand um but i gave it to her as she's in the hospital from our car wreck getting checked out because i had to run home and grab the other car to pick her up from the hospital right so as i did that i ran, ran by the mailbox because i knew it was there grabbed it because i knew it cheer her up and then handed it to her and she oh it was awesome it was a it was a definite score nice 
She loved it. But it was really cool and it was unique, you know. And so that's what I'm trying to do this year is just unique, not maybe big over the top grandiose things, but just little reminders throughout the year. You know I mean? so, so will it be 20 of those stick figure things or is that whole stick figure thing one thing? Yeah, gotcha. that was all one book. Wow. Yeah. Um, so just different things is what I, I – that's kind of a big endeavor, but – We'll, we'll see. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. So how do, how did you guys meet? We met at church. Okay. Years ago at youth group. So I've known her longer than I haven't. You know. Yeah. Um, I think I was thirteen when I first met her. Yeah. And she was fifteen, and she hated my guts. She thought I was so annoying. Wanted nothing to do with and me. And you probably were. <laughs> oh, I I absolutely was. <laughs> Yes, I was. But you got the girl. I did. I got her. Wow. So, yeah, we met in... But you guys are only like 25 now. Those numbers don't add up. Yeah, I don't know how it works. Don't ask me. <laughs> but it works. <laughs> just, just run with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wish I was 25. I don't. My body wishes I was 25. Let me put it that way. Wow. <laughs> I remember thinking the 20s were all that. And then I got about 32 or 33. I'm like, man, the 20s are so freaking overrated. Oh, I hated the my 20s. The 30s were amazing. Agreed. They were amazing. I, I, I would redo, uh, I love being the age I am now, but I would redo all of my 30s well before I redid all my 20s. Yeah. Like if easy. I could if I could go back and be a younger self, I would be 30-something. Screw yeah. that 20-something crap. I mean, that's just, yeah. You don't have a clue when you're in your 20s. <laughs> you think you do. Exactly. But then you oh, realize yeah. you really don't, and you're like, wow, I really don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I used to think uh, 30 was old. Yeah, I absolutely hated my 20s. I couldn't get. I couldn't wait to get out of my 20s. So, so I'm, I'm trying to do the math. I was thinking uh, when I was on the run today, the year you and I met... Um, I want to say 2005. Does that ring a bell? Yes. Okay. Somewhere in there. So we're pushing 13 years ago. That's crazy. Isn't that, isn't that weird? Yeah. That's a lifetime ago, too. It kind of is. Like I mean, I've had all on... three of my kids since then. Do you have any kids oh. older than 13? Mm-hmm. You do? Jacob. Jacob's 15. 15. Wow. Yeah. So he was just a baby. So, okay, so David Myers, 2005. Take me back there. Uh, because when I met you, you were fronting a band called Old Man Shattered, uh -huh. uh, which is the, the vehicle in which we met. Because um, right. I was working at the magazine, and somehow an ad with you guys came across my table. and But I don't remember how we met specifically. Do you? Was it through one of the GMA things? Or CBA or, like, or something. Yeah. Had to have been something like that. I don't know if you called him your agent, manager, whatever. I remember how he and I met because it was on the business side of things. But I don't remember how you and I met unless it was just, hey, my band's going to be in town. Um, come check them out and I'll introduce you. And it had that, to have been through But that was like all that. before social media too. So somewhere along the way, we met and connected like a connection that has stuck for 13 years you know which has led to this call um, right so tell me about tell me about old man shattered what does the name mean what'd you do what you want to do what didn't happen that you wanted to have happen oh Moment. man 
Gosh. Go plumb those depths again. So Old Man Shattered started from the worship team that we formed at our church where Nicole and I met. Okay. okay. We were the praise and worship team for the youth group, and it just started from that, and we ended up thinking, like, hey, this is actually pretty decent. We're not bad. <laughs> and it just kind of blossomed uh, from there. Um, my brother and I uh, came from a very, very musical family. My mom and dad were evangelists, traveled the country, played music since I can remember. Jesse is probably the best musician I've ever met, and that's not bias. Ask anybody that. He's kind of insanely talented. He's a virtual... You, you know, you give him the African voodoo flute and he can figure it out in 30 seconds. You know, yeah. he's just that good. And uh, we just, I guess we just had it in our blood and we loved it. We loved what we were doing and we, we were halfway decent at it, you know, especially in the, in the praise and worship um, genre because it started out just so innocent, you know, just so a bunch of dumb kids farting around and. We actually sounded pretty cohesive together, you know? Yeah. And it just kind of blossomed from there. Um, we were, we were, I guess at our peak, we were moderately successful. We were a good producer away from making it, quote-unquote, I think. We had a William Morris agency thing signed, ready to go. They took us out to dinner. They schmoozed us. So we were very close to, to doing it, you know, full-time kind of thing. But... Looking back on all of it, we put out four records, uh, well, three, kind of four. We had national radio success, number one in quite a few markets on with a couple songs. Um, we toured with all these bands that we wanted to tour with and meet and, and play with and all that. We got to do that in all these cool venues. We got to do that. We got to play for record execs we got to meet people like you you know we 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 got to do that and did did we ever end up where we where we wanted to end up maybe not but looking back at it i'm like man we did some really cool and neat and incredible things that i I, there's a statistic that's floating around that says less than four percent of bands ever formed get to tour wow so if you're so if you get so if you're touring Congratulations. You, you did it. Wow. You know what I mean? That's pretty sobering and pretty humbling, you know, on a, on a secular level. But we also did it on a Christian level. You know, we were the same band uh, at a church, um, at a club. You know, we were the same band. We, we had the same message and we did the same things. We didn't, we didn't switch uh, based upon um, where we were playing. We just wanted to, to be that band where this is who we are, you know, take it or leave it. Um, looking back to it's like man some of the stuff we tried to do we're like oh my god that's embarrassing <laughs> that's that's complete garbage we thought that was cool you know um, but some of it was like wow we we did that and we pulled it off and I'm actually pretty proud of that you know that's cool so yeah it's 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 definitely a journey that I don't regret um, did we get to where we wanted to get whoever does that you know so I think it's all perspective, you know, and just looking back on what we were able to accomplish with literally no money, no record label, no support system, just a bunch of dudes trying their best. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
but we had a blast doing it too. I was talking to some buddies of mine, and man, we had some good times, and we we had a good night, just kind of reminiscing, like, yeah, man, we were we kind of did it, you know, didn't we? Yeah, we kind of did, you know, and it was it was cool. So I'm I'm very blessed to have said I did that and to have done those things because who who gets to do those things, you know? Not many people, and we did, you know. Yeah. So it was it was it was cool. That's awesome. I enjoyed it for sure. What does the name Old Man Shattered mean? We got it from Romans 6 6. So it basically talks about the old man being destroyed and the new man, you know, coming to fruition, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit and whatnot. So it was, it was basically that. Now that I'm older, it makes a lot more sense because <laughs> I exemplify the name now. Oh, God, my back hurts. I can barely get out of bed. <laughs> I still get the jokes. Oh, old man shattered, huh? But yeah. <laughs> you guys did four records. I think I had. I think I came in on the second one. Yes. And then I think you sent me the first one. I don't remember the third, unless the third was the one I'm thinking was the fourth. Give me the titles of all four, so, and I'll, then I'll be reminded whether I remember the third or the fourth. So the first one was. In light of who you are, and it was a kind of a blue cover. Yeah. Okay. I don't even ha- I don't even have that anymore. No. No, I don't even have the music. I can't find it. Wow. Um, I think my mom might, but I don't. But uh, in light of who you are, that had a number one hit in this region called Mr. Prodigal, and it was number one here. I think it broke a record on uh, eighty-eight point three for number one consecutive weeks. And it was, <laughs> I don't know how uh, how true true that was because, you know, we had, like, my mother-in-law calling every five minutes requesting the song and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's calling in under an alias. And yeah. It's, it, it's funny. So that was In Light of Who You Are. And then we did The Other Side of Fear. Yes. Yes. That's the, that was the first one to me. Yeah. We recorded that in Nashville at the, uh, the castle. Mm-hmm recording studio and that was a crazy cool experience for us because the first one we did in some dude's you know garage you know here in town and then that one we got to go to nashville and record with the producer and this and that and uh you know we're on cloud nine you could have told us anything and we would have done it you know yes and then the third one was uh, the end of the matter that one was our best potential but the second one had our best feel, maybe. Fair enough. And then we we had a we had a fourth album that we never truly released. We kind of released it, but we never released it. Released it officially. Um, but that had some of my favorite lyrics I have ever written. And if there's anything that I think that I do well, I think I'm a decent lyricist, and I'm and I'm pretty proud of those types of things. So that one had my favorite lyrics because they were kind of like gritty and dark and really cool and honest because a lot more life happened yeah you were older and wiser yeah, yeah a lot more life yeah. experience i wasn't a i wasn't a cheesy you weren't a 20 something you were a 30 something <laughs> yeah exactly um nicole and i had just gone through an almost divorce and so that spawned a lot of a lot more just honest reflection kind of vibe and uh so it was a little darker I don't think it had any 
praise and worship feel to it. And that was okay to me. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like we needed to do that every single album. I thought that, you know, it was fine. And so that was what we did musically as, as a unit, you know. We went through a couple different lineups here and there, and I posted a picture on my Instagram a couple days back of uh, just the different guys, and I'm like, it's just cool, man. And, you know, nice. just the relationships I, I and the, and the journey. Because yeah. I remember you and Jesse and Eifert, um, but right? I don't recall the other guy in that particular lineup. Um, I remember uh, this, this would be the bass player, right? The one that I we went. We can, always went through bass players. We could oh, never wow, okay. keep a we could never keep a bass player. Um, and so, depending on uh, the bass player, Jesse would float between drums and guitar. Oh wow! Know? Okay. Yeah. So towards the end of the band, Jesse was playing guitar because that's what he always kind of wanted to do, and uh, he loved it, you know. And then he, and then Jesse went on to play with like spoken and a bunch of other bands and he was even courted by breaking benjamin and he ben the guy from breaking the lead singer like the actual dude sent jesse all the stems for all the songs and they're like hey you're the guy this is a six-figure gig you know jesse learned all the songs in like a night (laughs) you know he's like hey got them all i'm ready to rock and then they came back and they're like oh hey you know, sorry, we found a guy here locally in Nashville, and we're going to go with him. And so Jesse was like, oh. mm. So Jesse would still be playing with Breaking Benjamin right now, you know. Mm. Um, but it's just funny the way things work and the way things don't work, you know, sometimes. He's a cop now, and he's happy, so. <laughs> is he a cop now? He, he is. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he just graduated the police academy in December, so he's still pretty pretty new on the streets now and uh it's pretty cool he did a he did a he did a heck of a job getting through that so. well that's awesome well they're they're lucky yeah. to have them because um, we need more good cops absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and that's i don't want to make that sound like every cop out there is not a good cop but we just we just could always use more good <laughs> no i always I use more totally good. Get it. you know and then the bad apples are the ones that get the attention um right but no that's wow that's awesome are you yeah. still playing? Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Are you still playing? I am. Good. I uh, I just played with Josh Girls, actually. I got to open for him a couple months back after my little hiatus from from my side job. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was cool, man. You know what was weird is I I I played on stage for if you want to count church, you know more than 20 years touring for 12 years and uh, i'm not the nervous type unless it's like two guys and my dad then i'm a wreck (laughs) you know but if it's like a billion people no big deal to me and uh, i got on stage for the josh girls show and or right before i'm just like oh my gosh do i even remember how to do this you know and i was legitimately nervous like shaky sweaty palms the whole and i was like what is this feeling i've never really experienced it and uh went out on stage played with the had a couple buddies just kind of back me up you know ambient guitar type of stuff and and it was cool it was so awesome to get back on stage and just kind of fall back into your element you know 
Um, so it was neat. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't cool. had that experience in a while. Yeah, it was cool. So you did, okay, four, four albums with OMS. And then mm-hmm. you did a solo record, right? I did. Was this um, before or after you guys went to the Midwest for that worship leader gig? This was after. After. Yeah, we we moved back, um, and I and I released that EP um, the year we moved back. And and to be honest, that record, um, the Rescue, was the first thing I've ever done musically, start to finish that I could listen to. Hmm. I can't I can't listen to the majority of the stuff that I did in OMS. I can't do it. Again, because we were always pressured to, you need to sound like these guys, or you need to do it like this guy, or this is what's cool, so we need to do it like this, or somebody always telling us, no, it's not good enough, it needs to be this or that. You know what I mean? Just the pressure of the labels and the radio people and even the guys in the band. No, I want it to sound like this, you know. Well, which is kind of what their job is to do, to Correct. coach you and raise you to higher heights. Not necessarily to, uh, I hope, change you into something you're not, but Correct. to push my you to experience, higher though, My experience, though, was, and I even flew out to Nashville a few times via the record label that we had to co-write with people hey, we want to help you in your writing and this and that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love that. I could use the help. And it always ended up being, you're not good enough. You're going to do it the way I tell you kind of thing. And it always left me with a bitter taste mm. in my mouth because I knew what I was good at. What I needed help with was things that they weren't offering. Mm. And that's not to say I'm all about co-creating and a team player and stuff like that. But the way they did it, it always seemed to me like, hey, you know what? You need to sound more like Jeremy Camp. And here's how to do it. Here's the formula. Because I worked with Jeremy Camp, yada, 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 yada. And, and I gave uh, him this formula, and he's a So, success. yeah, it was always kind of like a, oh, man, this is frustrating kind of thing. So the EP was just a breath of fresh air because, again, I could listen to it front to back. And be super proud of it. Like, I'm legitimate. That's the best thing I've ever done. Because I got to take my time with it and do what I wanted to do, you know. Um, My biggest critic is myself. I can't listen to myself sing. I can't do it. Always. If you you play my stuff, I have to leave the room. That's just how it is. But I can listen to this. And I can be like, yeah, I'm proud of that. I'm really stinking proud of that. It came out exactly how I wanted it to come out. So yeah, it was that was a cool experience too. Just finally getting to do something that I am truly proud of. Like here it is. What do you think? And and I don't even really care what you think. I did this for me, and uh, and here it is. You know, so the cards fall where they may, kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, I was really really happy with the way it turned out. So. And from a listener's standpoint, and someone who knew you since then, since OMS days. If you were to ask me which of the four OMS albums or your solo album I would put on repeat, uh-huh. it would be your solo album. Awesome. I could tell when I think you might have fed me some clips or a song here or there before it came out or whatever, and I could tell it was real. I could tell it was a 30-something perspective on life instead of a 20-something perspective on life. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it was just more honest, and it was more real. And I dig it. I thought the, I thought the lyrics were 
deeper and more. Oh yeah, you were the one that pointed. told me something about the the song titles even had a a really cool progression that I didn't even think about until you pointed that out. <laughs> yeah, and so I went back and looked at it and I was like, oh wow, wow, he's really he's really into this. Like I didn't even snap just the way the song titles played out even told a story. I, um, I had forgotten that, but now I remember now that you say that. Yeah, that's a good record. Thank you. <laughs> I've had some uh, hard drives go down. I need to open my iTunes drive again and see if I still have it, because now I want well, to listen to it again. It's free on Bandcamp. Okay. So go to Bandcamp.com, look for Dave Myers, and it, you can download it for free. So. Oh, awesome. I, I yeah. will check that out. That'll probably be the low-hanging fruit anyway. One of the other cool things about that, and in, in, in a lot of the other endeavors that I'm trying to do, because that's kind of my MO, is I'm always trying to think up something else to do. Like my brain can never just be happy and, and, <laughs> and quiet. I'm always thinking of different projects. Oh, that would be cool to do and launch and start. And, and so one of the things that I've been doing and doing pretty successfully is reaching out to other people, other artists and being, hey, you want to be a part of this? You know, what's the worst they're going to tell me? No. And I'm just back at where I was, you know, and people are actually like, yeah, I'll help you out with that. So I'm a, I'm a big theology nerd. I love it. I can't get enough of it. It's just, it just fascinates me and I could talk about it forever in a good, wholesome, civil, social kind of way. I just love dialogue and conversation and inclusivity. I love it all. And I'm, and I, and I always welcome everybody to the table even if you disagree with me. This is what I think, but what do you think kind of thing? You know what I mean? Teach me something I that I don't know because my experience isn't yours and yours isn't mine and blah, 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 blah. And we're so all anyways. trying to figure this thing out. Exactly. So one of my favorite, favorite writers, bloggers, speakers, he was a pastor. His name is Jonathan Martin. And I followed him on Twitter and he is an absolute hero of mine. I just, the way he, he uh, writes is just, it's, utterly poetic and just brilliant i love this man well i got to meet him at a conference and uh just super cool and humble and down to earth and just is just so much different than i thought this guy was gonna be you know definitely not the celebrity type just really wholesome down to earth humble guy anyways I, I reached out to him on twitter and i said hey i have an idea for the last song on my ep what would you think about being a part of it? And he's like, I would love to do that. And so this guy who has a bajillion followers on Twitter responds back to me wanting to be part of my stupid little project here in New Mexico. And it just rocked my world. I was like, it was like when Michael Buble followed me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my mind. Oh my God. Yeah. And he, and he did it, man. And he, he's on the, the last song, like the last half of it. And it worked out perfect, perfect. And I got to meet him again after that and play it for him. And he was like, oh, my gosh. He's like, this is cool, man. He's like, thank you for letting me be a part of this. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a big deal to him necessarily, you know. But for me, it was like, yeah, this is cool, you know. So that was a really cool cherry on the, on the icing, on the whipped cream, on the cake for me, you know. So, yeah. That's awesome. You had commented earlier that you and Nicole about hit the skids. Yeah. What was that about? Because I didn't know that. 
I wasn't aware of that until you said that. So, it's like, I was like, wow. I mean, I mean, I know marriages kind of hit rough patches, but they don't yeah. always get to the end of the runway. Right. Well, for us, I was, I was a twenty-something know-it-all. We've been, we've been making fun of that all night, you know. But I was. <laughs> it's such I an easy a, target. I was such an ass, you know. I was such an arrogant little prick. I thought I had everything figured out, and. Uh, and I came home from, from work one time, and I'm just loving life. Hey, 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 what's going on? You know, how hard can this be? And I walk through the door. I'll never forget it. And Nicole's sitting on the far end of the couch with her with her head in her hands. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And she looks up at me, and there's just tears streaming down her face. And she says, I, I want a divorce. And I kind of look around like, <laughs> from me? Yeah, right. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, it just kind of, oh, my God. She's been miserable this long, you know, that it came to this, you know, just kind of out of the blue. And uh, it was brutal. So the next few months was definitely the darkest I've ever been in my life, ever. It was horrible. You know, bands don't mix with families well necessarily you know especially having four kids doesn't lend itself well to being a good dad and a good husband and you know being on the road for months at a time and weeks at a time it's it's difficult you know she's thinking that you know we're out there playing rock and roll and and meeting people and having a good time and and all of that is is absolutely true but it's also a lot of hard work and a lot of dead ends and a lot of no's and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of you suck and a lot, just a lot of bad, but you never really show that side of it. You know, it's always the enchanted (laughs) magic journey, you know, and I just leave her with the kids to fend for herself and that's hard, you know? And so it just kind of took a toll on her. And then me being the inconsiderate jerk I was, I never really, walked her through it, talked to her about it. I always just thought things were good. And if she never talked about it, then it's never an issue. And and I can skirt it, you know, and ignore it. And it just kind of came to a head and I was blindsided by it, you know. And I feel so stupid about it because I should have seen it coming. I should have known that my wife has been struggling and this um, upset and this sad this whole time. And I never saw it, you know, what, what kind of jerk husband doesn't notice that you know and so we walked through the darkest period of both of our lives we never separated but it was still just kind of you're you know you're just kind of sleeping with a buddy you know it was just it was hard it was brutal it was dark i don't wish it on anybody it was it was absolutely the most difficult thing i've ever had to do in my life and then it hit me you know, what I need to do, or what I need to try to do at least, you know, I'm not saying that do this and it will work for you, um, because everybody's different and everybody has to figure that out, but I I, I grew up, (laughs) I grew up a lot, and I realized that I was a jerk, I was inconsiderate, I was, I was not the husband that I promised her that I would be, I was not anything, really, but just a companion who would leave for months at a time and do what I wanted you know it was super selfish but I grew up a lot and we we started going to counseling and uh man the counselor was just awesome he just kind of hit it on the head and he's 
he read our mail like it was nobody's business. It was awesome. He just he was so good. He was so good at what he did. And again, there's no formula. They go to counseling and do this and say these things and everything's good. You know, there's no formula. But and I don't really even know how we did it, but we got through it. We both said some things that we shouldn't have said. And see, this is what I tell people a lot too. You know, we have this this idea that when you go into a relationship with somebody that it's always going to be paradise and that nothing they can do can hurt our feelings or nothing they can say, you know, is, can interrupt this thing that we have. But what you have to do is, is in any kind of relationship, especially in a marriage, you have to build into it that this person is eventually going to hurt me. It's going to say something that's going to offend me, do something that's going to hurt me, maybe not intentionally or maliciously, but it's going to happen, you know. But if you build those into the relationship, that way when they do arise, you're like, yeah, we were expecting that. Yeah, of course. That's how relationships work. Instead of like, nothing could go wrong, and I love this person, and this is the best thing ever, and then the things happen, you're like, oh my god, I'm betrayed. So we figured out a lot of things pretty quickly. This is about year nine, year ten in our marriage. And that's actually one of the things that that our counselor said is he's like what year are you guys married and we're like this is year nine and he's like oh yeah he's like this is this is the the bump that usually every married couple hits is usually uh the seven to nine oh, yeah, uh, years or something like that and he, everything he said was just spot on right on you're doing yeah. this wrong you're doing this wrong do it like this and, and yada 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 but yeah man it was it was definitely the hardest darkest most tragic thing we've ever gone through but we did it. We, we, we got through it. And we're better for it. We're, we're better friends now because of it. We, we are in love more than we uh, than we ever were. Yeah, we still piss each other off and, you know, say certain things. And then we, we get over it. All right, you know, you made me mad. I'm at, I'm going with my brother tonight. I'll see you. Or she'll, I'm going to my mom's tonight. And, you know, cool down and everything. You know, we make it work. Just like any other married couple, you know, but... That was a that was a hard time. Wow, for sure. That makes me think of that classic journey line uh, from Faithfully: that "Loving a uh-huh. music man ain't always what it's supposed to be." Yeah, man. Well, awesome for you guys for pulling it out, turning the airplane around before it fell off the cliff. <laughs> right. That's cool. See, I didn't know that either. Which which again speaks to the beauty of. In our case, somewhat of a face-to-face, but like mm-hmm. an actual conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow, that's cool. What are you What are you working on musically these days? Anything? Yeah, I actually uh, <clears throat> I want to do another EP this year. I've got I've got about eight songs written. I want to probably do three, maybe four, on the EP. But actually, I just actually before I I came um, and called you here. I was working on a new one, and oh, God, I love it. Have you ever heard of the phrase, tikkun olam? No. It's a, it's a, I think it's a Hebrew phrase. The idea is, though the, the world is broken, it's not beyond repair. Nice. I've well, really that's been, timely for today, too. Oh, right? And I really love that phrase, and it's kind of my been my mantra the last few years. I just really love it because it's simple, and it's, it's true. And so it's kind of along that theme that though the world is broken, 
it's not beyond repair. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, once I get the the lyrics situated, I'll I'll send it to you, and you can tell me what you think. But that's awesome. I want to try to finish it this year, this EP, uh, but I'm in no rush. That's kind of the beauty of the last one. I was in zero rush, and I did what I wanted to do, and I and I set out what I wanted to to accomplish, and I was happy with it. Nobody's saying hey, nothing like that. I want to make it right you know so anyways I, I had just started that right before this and it's really cool so <laughs> sweet i look forward to hearing that and the rest of it well you're you're definitely always one of the first guys i think of there's probably maybe five people in my life i can count on one hand that i truly admire and respect and love and uh think the world of and you're you're definitely one of for sure well i appreciate um, that so once I get it done, you'll be you'll definitely be one of the first ones to hear it. So nice, nice. Well, it it, it is mutual, which is why you're on this podcast because you are <laughs> definitely one of my people. Tell me about a cause or an organization that you hold dear that you really want to support. Who is it? What do they do? Why do you support them? Why do they need your help or anybody's help? Well, one of them that's on my radar right now that I've been partnering with here locally is called the New Mexico Dream Center. And so I'm a first responder, right? And so I see the worst of the worst every day. You know, you call 911, I'm going to show up. When we show up, it's a bad day. And we also, you know, we're not walking into (laughs) the nicest parts of the city all the time. We see the worst of the worst in the dregs, in the darkest of the dark, um, and it's not pretty. You know, it's not always the luxurious side of town, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I love these people, these messed up, broken, messy, tragic people. Because if we're if we're being honest, you and I we're two decisions away from being them. We're one decision away from being if, if not just one, yeah. Right. We we can sit here in our in our air conditioned buildings, you know, with our success and this and that, and think we have it all made, and you know, we would be fooling ourselves. You know, there's there's people I run on all the time who used to be deans, who used to be professors, who used to be engineers that made um, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year here. We're all the same. You know, so if you could excuse the the, hugo, uh, the ego and the hubris and understand that and understand the humanity in it, then it helps. It's helpful, especially if you're a first responder. So one of the groups that I'm in love with right now is the New Mexico Dream Center. And so what they're doing is an initiative to fight um, human trafficking here in, in our city, which is it's a big deal. I know it's a big deal everywhere, um, but they're they're starting here and with homeless youth. We have about 5,000 homeless youth just here in Albuquerque alone. It's an issue. And so these guys are championing that and uh, some of my dearest friends, and I'm so proud of what they're doing. They just launched a video that was extremely well done. They show it's very dark, you know, it's very haunting, and it shows this beautiful young girl 
and she walks into this seedy hotel room and she sits down at the chair in front of the mirror and there's the paraphernalia everywhere and there's the, the booze and the this and the that. It's painting the picture of, of, of her surroundings, right? And she starts to remove her makeup from her night, you know? She starts to take off the mascara and then you realize that this is a 10-year-old little girl and it kind of hits you like a like a ton of bricks like oh my god this is a real thing and that's a real person and that's somebody's daughter you know that's somebody's sister that's somebody's somebody and uh it's very powerful and so these guys they're championing the 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 homeless youth and the uh the at-risk teens and youth that are being ushered into human trafficking because when you become a, a homeless youth you're exponentially exposed to more of the trafficking side of things because you have to survive and how do you survive by selling yourself you know and so these people are are really doing outstanding work rescuing girls from from human trafficking um they're going into the strip clubs and they're and they're bringing gifts to the to the girls and the ladies that work there and, and they're and they're loving on them you know they're not inviting them to church or saying you need to do this and you need to change your lifestyle and you're a sinner and you're this or that they just bring them gifts and they love on them hey if there's anything that you need call us oh you do, do you need food we'll bring you food do you need clothes yeah let's go buy you a dress or you know what i mean that's what they're doing and it's really cool so i got i guess it would be spoken for which is the the name of the group under the guise of the New Mexico Dream Center. So they're doing incredible things here in the city. And especially it correlates with my job as a first responder and a firefighter, because we're all on this thing together. You know, we're all kind of fighting this um, hand in hand. And so any help that we can get is is wanted and needed. Yeah. That's fantastic. And that'll go a long way to uh, mending fences in their world and, and building some bridges and Throwing a oh, ladder absolutely. down, or you know, at least a rope that they can help them climb out, or something. Right. Uh, pick a metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a quick break for a word from New Mexico Dream Center. So often, my job is to comfort the afflicted, but now it's time to afflict the comfortable in our community, in our state. We can no longer be comfortable with the selling of children for sex. The New Mexico Dream Center is stepping up to address this epidemic in 2018 with two goals. The first is to open a drop-in center. This is where teens can access food, they can have resources, they can have a place for safety. There will also be specialized services for those who have already been trafficked. The second is a long-term living facility so that survivors of sex trafficking that are teens will be able to get the resources they need. They can heal. It's where they can come to be restored. It's where they can come to get their lives back. And there's an amazingly simple way that you can help with this. $12. That's it. Your gift gives our local at-risk teens a way of escape from the soul-shattering circumstances of sex trafficking. To give your $12 gift, go to nmdreamcenter.org slash donate. That's the letter N as in new, M as in Mexico, dreamcenter.org slash donate. Or text dollar sign one two to 505-207-0082. I'm sitting here in a, in a village in or wherever I am, drinking coffee, talking to one of my favorite people over the internet, you know, 
that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> so everything is perspective, man. You know, and if we if we truly understood that life is not about the destination, we think it's about getting that thing, right? Go go get that one thing, right? And then we go get the thing, and then we're like, well, I don't feel any different. Well, we cheated ourselves because it's not about getting the one thing. It's not about the destination. It's about everything in between. It's about the journey. Think about it like like a song. You know, you don't listen to the song and just skip all the way to the ending because if that was the case, we would go to concerts and we would hear crescendos. We would go and we'd pay $100 a ticket just to hear the band play that last chord. That's not what it's about. It's about all the things in the middle. It's about the journey. Life is in the journey. And so if we truly understood that, that life is playful, that life is more or less a song than it is a formula, than it is a destination, then everything starts to fall into place. You know what I mean? I'm on this huge theological shift and bent that the ground had always been holy. Moses goes to the top of the mountain and he meets with God and God says, Moses, take your sandals off because you're standing on holy ground. You know, it's not as if the ground all of a sudden became holy. It's that Moses became aware. Oh my gosh, it's always been like this. The ground has always been holy and I'm just now noticing that's what life is. And, and for me, I'm really changing the way I think about things and the way I deal with people and start to see the ground as holy and every single person I encounter as holy, as a, as a son or a daughter of God. And I treat them as such, or at least I try to, you know, I, everything, you know, sometimes it gets the best of me. And, you know, the guy that we rented us the other day, I wanted to <laughs> break his neck. But the more that you begin to see the ground as holy and the more that you begin to see that every single person on planet Earth is an image bearer of the divine, everything starts to change. So whether it's my children that remind me of those things, whether it's my job that reminds me of those things, whether it's the bum that we pick up, you know, week in and week out, all of these things are factors in this journey, you know, that we call life. Life is in the journey, you know, and if we if we stop to look around at the scenery, it is staggeringly beautiful. You know, things happen. We go through hard times. We go through through the valley, and our proclivity is to is to want to pitch a tent and live there, and and oh, woe is me, and the world sucks, and it's so dark, and this and that. But we all go through tough times. We all go through the dark times. But the goal is to keep going. It's not to to live there. The people that suffer, so to speak, the most beautiful people that I know. You know, because in those moments, you have a you have a choice to become bitter and angry and cynical and jaded and, and, and worn out and frowny faced your whole life, or those things make you better. You have a choice in those moments. And if you choose to those things to make you better, then you will become a more empathetic, sympathetic person, a more compassionate person, and a more beautiful person. Just look at the world around us. It's crazy. It is as chaotic as it's ever been. And so no ethic, is going to change the world. No apologetic is going to change the world. The only thing that will change the world is the aesthetic of God, the beauty of God. Show somebody something beautiful and they can't deny it, right? They might try to explain it away. They can't deny it. They can't deny beauty because nobody can resist beauty for forever. 
Don Quixote says it's the prerogative beauty that changes hearts and minds. And if you can be beautiful and show somebody beauty or, or lead somebody down the path of beauty, that's essentially what's going to save them. And so you're going through a horrible time. I'm sorry. Keep going, though. Don't you pitch a tent. Don't you live there. Keep going. Let it do what it, what suffering does best and make you better. We've gone through the ringer in my life. We never made it as the band. We should have been divorced. We had a hard time getting pregnant. I was fired from my first job as a firefighter. All of these things, you know, we experience loss and, and their interruptions in our, in our life. And what we want to do is we want to play the part of the martyr and shake our fists at God and say, you know, how could you do this to us and this and that. It's having that, that foundation and that support system and surrounding yourself with people who will love you and, and, and take care of you and, and call you out when you need to be called out and, and pick you up, you know, and that way when they fall down, you pick them up, you know, and it's just this beautiful synergy of relationship that we're meant to be like, you know, we're relational beings, um, which is, which is a miracle because relationship isn't necessary for survival. We don't need to be friends in order for me to live and for order you to live, um, but we choose to be. And I, I, I'm trying my best to let those things make me better, make me a better husband, a better father, a better friend, and then just kind of go on from there. It's it's kind of simple if you think about it. You know, we always try to over-spiritualize and over-complicate everything. And life is pretty simple. And if you just do those simple things, you know, and love people well, you're never going to come to a bad end. No, that's excellent. And that um, you, what you're describing is the ultimate in social network. Yeah. Is the relationships. I've, I've been thinking about a podcast idea for probably a year or so. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until um, last summer sometime I was uh, just kind of in a funk. I had some stuff to do in the yard. I had to seal my privacy fence. You know, so here I am. Just hosing down this fence, doing, quote, <laughs> mindless work. Right. And then, you know, let it let it dry, let it cure for a few more days. And then I've got to come back and I've got to stain the whole thing, stain and seal the whole thing. And I was like, that's not my line of work. So for me, it was cathartic. It, it was a time to get away and it's somewhat of a sabbatical. I was I was out of my element. I was doing a different thing. So my mind was working on di- on other stuff kind of behind mm-hmm. the scenes and then kablam it hit me mm-hmm. what i wanted this podcast to be about and that's about the people i've met along the way over the years whether it was last year or last summer or two or three decades ago these people that you collect along the way and you build this clan everything you have just said just affirms and confirms why I consider you one of my people. As I was hearing you explain all that, I wanted to interject, but I didn't because there was such a good, <laughs> there was a good role there. And I was like, and I didn't want to mess it up. Um, and it was awesome. You're, you're a great dad. You're a great husband. I look forward to seeing you soon. And Coming yeah, from you, that means a lot. This was, this was awesome. There you have it. If you enjoyed this, subscribe and share with your friends. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Collected Clan and subscribe. See more in the show notes for this episode at collectedclan.com slash David Myers. 
Myers is spelled with an E-M-E-Y-E-R-S. And a big shout out to my friends Worldwide Groove Corporation for this episode's original music. The song is Mimosa from their album Chilodesiac Lounge Volume 1. Check out more of their music at WorldwideGrooveCorporation.com. Now go be you 